there, maybe another way to put it, of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus that you uh, came up with perhaps through those passages or through discussion, or maybe that through your own thinking as you've been pondering this, uh, this principle. Now it's big room and lots of people here. As you look at these passages, maybe you notice that Jesus says he can it's him as master or somebody else. It's there's no one between, right? It's Jesus as our King, it's Jesus as Lord, or it's somebody, something else functioning in that way, isn't it? And uh, what, are the, what are the implications of that then for Jesus' people who are following Him as disciples? What does that mean for our lives? Then? You have a big choice to make. Yeah. Every moment is a big choice, isn't it? Big choice. Um, there's no, there's no riding on the fence, is there, with the Lord Jesus? Either we're Jesus is our all, or he isn't. It's, 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 it's a powerful, uh, high calling, isn't it? It is, in one sense, simple. Jesus' plan, right? But that doesn't mean it's easy, is it? In fact, it's impossible without surrender to God, isn't it? Well, I encourage you to take the insert that's in your bulletin here this morning about how our disciples made and work uh, through those questions and those passages with somebody else here and gain some more uh, insights to build on uh, what we're going to talk about today. And <clears throat> what I'd like to do this morning is propose to you that it's the tiniest of things that can make all the difference. It's the tiniest of things that can make all the difference. It's the tiniest things that may turn out to have an impact way beyond what we could even imagine, beyond our, 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 our comprehension. London, a few centuries ago, there was a great fire called the Great Fire of London that started from a single tiny spark from an oven that hadn't properly dealt with a damper in Thomas Fariner's bakery on Pudding Lane. Consumed over 13,000 houses, 87 churches, including the famous St. Paul's Cathedral. Or if you've studied wars, you know that just one shot fired at a very minor Austrian person of royalty in Sarajevo on June 28, 1914, led ultimately to 16 million deaths in the great war that followed World War I. Sometimes the tiniest things have an impact way beyond our imagination. Now, both of those things were negative, weren't they? But imagine for a moment a tiny, seemingly insignificant action, something that may seem weak and and unimpressive, even pathetic. But that action having the most incredible, beneficial, and positive impact. And I want this morning from the Scriptures to persuade you that there's something that you might seem that might seem initially odd, foolish, feeble, but has the potential to impact all eternity. There is something that God has entrusted you to do that will echo beyond right now. 
There is something very ordinary and very simple that you could do by God's power that whose impact is way beyond all comprehension and way beyond our imaginations. And the difficulty is that the devil is going to plant in your mind a reason why that's impossible to you. A reason why you can't do this. I could never do that. Or I'm too timid. Or, or that sounds too weird to even begin to think about here. And so I want to persuade you this morning that it's not about me and it's not about you. It's about God and His empowerment. And over the past few weeks here, we're reminding ourselves of our core business here as a church that we exist to make disciples who make disciples. That was Jesus as He stood as Lord of Lords and King of Kings. He said, all authority is given unto me in heaven and in earth to His followers as He ascends to heaven. And that God's great plan for eternity to rescue for the Lord Jesus Christ from all nations who will be focused on Him for all eternity and will worship Him for all eternity is what God has left us on this earth for. Several weeks ago, we talked about the idea that we're not, we're not passengers on a cruise ship leaning over the rail and admiring the views. That's not what God calls the church to be. Um, we're more like a battleship storming the, the, the forces of the evil one. Or you could put it this way in another picture. If we're going to sail with those, uh, stay, stay, stay with those uh, ocean terms. We're, we're a crew in a white, on a lifeboat dedicated to saving lives, to train them to save other lives, to walk with the captain to rescue others for eternity. We're not hanging out on the promenade here. We have an urgent mission to engage in here. And so, where I'd like you to turn this morning is Mark chapter 4, please. Mark chapter 4. Mark has arranged the material that he's recorded for us about the life of Jesus very deliberately. And in Mark chapter 4, the picture is not of a lifeboat, but it is of a farmer who is sowing seed. That's not very striking, is it? That's not very amazing, is it? That's something all many of us do in the gardens. You get getting your perhaps getting your garden ready. Some of you may have, if the, if the ground is thawed out by now and hasn't frozen again, you may have already rototilled uh, your garden. Uh, so the picture in Mark four is of a farmer sowing seed. It's very ordinary. It's very simple. There's not a lot of complexity to planting seed. Now I realize certain seeds need certain temperatures and certain soils and certain times when they're supposed to be planted. But Mark here records three stories or three parables here, and in this chapter, Jesus tells us about seed. There's a tale of a seed in four different soils. That's the one we're most familiar with. We call the parable of the sower. Then there's a story of seed growing. And last of all, there is a parable of a mustard seed. But each one has this common theme of a seed that is sown, a seed that is planted. And each one is a story about growth. The growth of God's invisible kingdom. Look in verse 26. You'll see the common theme here in Mark chapter 4. He said, So is the kingdom of God as if a man should cast or scatter seed into the ground. Skip down to verse 30. And he said, Where too shall we liken the kingdom of God? Or with what comparison shall we compare it? It is like a grain of mustard seed. The kingdom of God. Kingdom of God. That's, that's God's reign. Jesus' reign as, as King. Jesus is the son of David. He is the pronounced ruler of the universe here. The boss. 
so to speak here, Jesus' kingdom. It's where he is in where he is in charge. So describing here, Mark's describing how people are caught up and that Jesus says king. It's Jesus' kingdom is where he's king. And one day, Jesus' kingdom will be without any limits, right? Uh, there will be no evil. There will be no insurgence against Jesus' kingdom when we look forward to that day. But here he's talking about right now. The kingdom of God right now. And Mark 4 is about the growth of his kingdom and how it comes up, uh, about. Or if we're going to use what we already talked about here, this is about how the crew rescues people and trains other people to rescue people. So you'll notice that the kingdom is grown by the word that is planted. Like, like to read verses 26 through 32. And he said, So is the kingdom of God, as if a man should cast seed into the ground and should sleep, and rise night and day, and the seed should spring and grow up. He knows not how. For the earth brings forth fruit of itself, first the blade, then the ear, after that the full corn in the ear. But when the fruit is brought forth, immediately he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. And he said, Whereto shall we liken the kingdom of God? Or with what comparison shall we compare it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when it is sown in the earth is less than all the seeds that be in the earth. But when it is sown, it grows up and becomes greater than all herbs and shoots out great branches so that the fowls of the air may lodge under the shadow of it. First thing you'll notice here with this particular parable is the kingdom is grown by the word that is sown or planted. This thread runs through all three of the stories. Verse 26 is just like verse 3. Verse 3 says, A sower went out to sow. So Jesus' explanation here is carried through in these three parables here that the sower sows the Word of God. The sower sows the Word of God. The message of Jesus here Message of Jesus, who must must uh, 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 who, who lived perfectly, who suffered, who needed to die, who needed to be buried, who needed to rise again, who is proclaimed by His resurrection, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, the Holy One of Israel. And Mark has summarized that for us in his very first chapter, verses 14 and 15, when Jesus comes in the Galilee proclaiming the Gospel, saying, the kingdom of God is at hand. It is near. Repent and believe, he says. That in a very small nutshell was Jesus' message, wasn't it? The King is here. So turn and trust Him. And so here in this second story in Mark chapter 4, after the parable of the sower, the message is sown, the word is broadcast, it is, it is scattered, but what happens next? Well, look in verse 27. The guy who plants it, verse 27, sleeps. And he rises, night and day. This is just the pattern here. And the seed should spring and grow up. He knows not how. So he sleeps and he rises night and day. The seed sprouts, it grows. He doesn't know how, which means that the power here was not in the power of the planter. It was not in the power of the sower. There is a power that uh, is, is a mystery here to the planter. And the kingdom is like that seed that sprouts and it grows and the farmer doesn't know how it happens. It grows regardless of his actions. He has planted it. He sows. He snores. And it grows. 
This guy probably in a lot of life was a farmer who knew what he was doing. He's an expert in what he's doing. But he has no control over the growth of that seed, does he? It doesn't matter whether he's asleep or awake. It grows and his job is to sow and then sleep. The growth is separate from the farmer. And look what happens in verse 28. The earth brings forth fruit of itself. And he talks about the stages of growth here, right? First the blade, then the ear. After that, the full corn in the ear. So Jesus says, as we spread and share the Word of God, God's kingdom grows. It's like that. That's what happens. It grows by the Word that's sown. That little seed. The little seed in that little packet. Some of those seeds are so small, you wonder if you ought to put like ten of them in the hole, right? They're so tiny. Uh, God's Word has power to do what it needs to do. His Word will not return emptied. Why? Because it's in God's hands. It's a God thing. By His Spirit, God does His work through His Word. When God speaks, this is the pattern throughout all Scripture, things happen. His Word has executive power behind it. It is effective from creation onward. You notice over and over in Genesis 1, God what? Said. And it was so, right? It happened. Now, in contrast with a family of seven people in a house, they hear my voice or hear my wife's voice a lot. And when I speak, uh, it seems like there might be some things that uh, may, may have gone into the ears of my kids or my family um, that, uh, that indicate that I might not be that important. My family tends, might, might tend to ignore me here. And maybe you feel that way with your family or with your workplace or whatever. But Jesus' Word has life in and of itself. It has life within itself. And that's the difference between my Word and God's Word here. Now, notice there's a, there's a clue there in verse 28. It says, For the earth brings forth fruit of itself or by itself. The idea is there's something that's of its own accord here. The word that's used here, of itself here, is only used in one other place in the New Testament, in Acts 12, where Peter is miraculously rescued by the angel from prison. And Luke tells us in Acts 12, verse 10, maybe some of you remember this story, God rescues Peter from prison. He tells us that the iron gate leading from the prison into the city opened for them of its own accord. Of its own accord. Well, who opened that gate? God opened that gate. And so it is here. God opens the heart gate. The earth produced by itself and the farmer can sow and wait. It's God who does this. And this is what we looked at in 1 Corinthians 3, right? Some plant, Apollos came on and watered that plant, but it is God who gives the growth. Doesn't that take a lot of pressure off you and me? We share the Word. We share the Word. But the results are not up to us. Yes, we hold uh, people accountable to the Word, but we can rest in the fact that God is the one who makes it grow. He does the rest. And guess what? He's very capable at doing that. He's very capable. 
That's, that's liberating. It doesn't depend on your abilities. It doesn't depend on your power or your own or your weakness. In fact, it actually is better even when you're weak, Paul says here. God's grace is efficient. It doesn't depend on your own boldness or your timidity. It doesn't depend on if you could, you could sell uh, snow to an Eskimo, right? It, it doesn't depend on your persuasiveness or on your skills or, or your ability to debate and argue. That doesn't mean you can't grow in these things, right? It doesn't depend on if you're an outgoing person or social butterfly or not. The outcome isn't in me. And maybe that's why some of us step back from it because we tend to believe the lie, the evil one, that it's all on us. But no. We are the ones who spread the Word. We don't have all the answers. We know where the answers are. You might be able to find people who have better answers than you. We can learn all those answers, but ultimately, we are pointing people to Jesus. Because He is the answer. Now, look at verse 14. The sower, Jesus' explanation of that famous parable, verse 14, the sower sows the, what? Say it with me. The Word. The sower plants the Word. The farmer, the planter, plants the Word. The Word. What Word? Right? That begs the question. And look at verse 26. And he said, So is the kingdom of God, as if a man should cast or scatter seed into the ground. Notice there's nothing there that describes the elegance, the eloquence of the sower. The only thing that describes the sower is the. The sower. The sower. What do we take from that? Pretty simple, isn't it? The sower. Not the amazing sower. Not the incredibly skilled and gifted sower here. The sower is just a sower. What is a sower? It's anybody who plants the seed. Anybody. There's no qualifications. It's scattering or it's planting the seed. That's pretty simple, isn't it? Very simple. That tells us that's not about us. And this guy in his culture would probably have a seed bag attached to a strap around his neck along this side here. It was probably old and patched. Uh, 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 or maybe he had a Louis Vuitton bag. And it was gold embossed and jewel encrusted. Guess what? Did that matter? That wasn't important, was it? It didn't matter what shape or style the bag was. The one who scatters the seed is the sower. So Jesus is removing any kind of qualifications here about, well, you really need to have this kind of intellect. You really need to have this kind of skill set, etc. here. No, the kingdom is grown by the Word that is planted because the power is what? It is in the Holy Spirit through His Word. We uh, look back on Martin Luther's ministry and um, one of the things that brought Reformation to Europe here was a return to the Word of God. And God used Luther as a catalyst in this. And after the Word of God turned Europe upside down by the God just pouring out a spirit on it, here's what Luther said. I mean, this is the guy who nailed the 95 Theses to the... Things that he saw were wrong with the church, and nailed them to the to the door of the of the of the castle there in 1517. And here's what he said when it was all over. Near his death, he said, "I simply taught, preached, and wrote God's word. Otherwise, 
I did nothing. And while I slept or drank Wittenberg ale with my friends, Philip and Mamsdorf, the Word did it all. I did nothing. I let the Word do its work. He sowed and he slept. That's Mark 4, which tells us to be confident in the Word of God and to keep planting. Keep planting. Look at this next story in verse 32. When this grain of mustard seed is sown, Jesus says, when it is sown, it grows up and becomes greater than all herbs and shoots out great branches so that the fowls of the air may lodge under the shadow. His point about this is a specific seed. And his point is a mustard seed is proverbially small, it's tiny, but it grows far beyond what it looks like at the beginning. It grows... That uh, into a thing that uh, is very different from the size of the seed. Now, in actuality, a mustard seed can grow, I guess, some three meters tall, which isn't huge, like a redwood, right? Three yards or so. But the point is, compare that to the tiny speck of a mustard seed. It's going to grow until it becomes comparatively enormous, a contrast. And isn't that what you see as a kind of surprising thing in these parables here? The sower is scattering, scattering lots of seed, right? And he might say, well, some of that seed's wasted. But look what he says in verse 29. But when the fruit is brought forth, immediately he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. When Jesus gives the parable of the sower, he says in verse 20, and these are they which are sown on good ground, such as hear the word and receive it and bring forth fruit, some thirtyfold, some sixty, and some a hundred. That there is a harvest that will come. That Jesus says his word will do the work. That investing in word ministry. Not just what we're doing here. This is a part of word ministry. This is a part of making disciples, but this is a part. This is a part. You have a lot of other parts to that. You have people that you're going to reach that maybe wouldn't come into this auditorium, but God can use you to use the Word of God and your knowledge of the Word of God or just reading the Scripture or connecting with them in ways that uh, I might not be able to or, or, or Jason might not be able to or Jesse might not be able to or Bell might not be able to. That, that God has given you a, 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 a business of sowing seed that is a business worth investing in. And friends... Verse uh, 20 and verse 29 tells us that it is a business that is worth it and, it, and we are on the winning side. <coughs> that, that, that it will come to fruition one day. And here was Jesus, a construction worker. That's probably more likely what being a carpenter was in his day. And he is he's trained as a rabbi, but he is wandering around Israel and he is proclaiming the word of the kingdom. He's sowing the seed of his word. Now, Mark was written later on to, after, to a time when the church had been established by that time. 
And so Jesus' followers in Ephesus or Spain or North Africa who now would be able to look back and see this parable here would say, he's right. It's true. His word builds. His word builds. Do you think those disciples that day listening to that story had any kind of thought that they were Jesus followers in Maine today? No, because Maine didn't exist. No, it was, it was, it was beyond their comprehension. And so, friends, uh, uh, God is doing something through His Word. It's His Word that produce, produces a, a, a harvest of lives that are rescued and that are reoriented, as, as Curtis sang tonight, uh, this morning. Uh, uh, have thine own way, reoriented under Jesus as their King and Savior. Now look at verse 32. But when it is sown, it grows up and becomes greater than all the herbs. There's 40,000 people or so here in our county, right? God has given us a commission to make it hard to go to hell from Knox County through us. The good news of the gospel. This word that is sown... This word that Jesus promises there will be a harvest one day. We don't know when that time is, but we're to be faithful sowing. Listen, if we just wanted to see 10% of our county, it's 4,000 people, right? Gathered with Jesus as their Savior and King. Do you, do you, do you think that, 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 that sharing the Word of God would really bring that about? Do you believe that from this passage? That seed that looks so tiny, so small, so little, so insignificant, so unimpressive. When you look at that seed, your temptation is to lose heart, isn't it? That little seed. How's that going to make an impact? But you're not looking at God's kingdom. You're not looking at what that seed comes. And you and I are evidences of that, aren't we? What has God done in your life through that seed? What are the wrong patterns and wrong thinkings that He has changed through the Word of God to form you into Jesus? To impart into you the life of Jesus and have you look more and more like Him? Yeah, you're not where you want to be. We understand that. We're not where we need to be yet. But you're not what you used to be, are you? Jesus has worked. He has worked. And verse 33 says, when it is sown, it grows. We have to cling to that. And with many such parables spake he the word to them as they were able to hear it. He's, verse 33 tells us Jesus is practicing what he's preaching. He's practicing what he's, what he's, what he's preaching here. Um, listen, not all of us are going to become amazing Bible teachers, but all of us are Bible sharers. We're all Bible sharers. The things that you hear, the things that you learn, share, repeat, multiply. Families, do this with your families at home. Do you have a time, families, where you're gathering around the Word? Maybe you don't, so let's try that once a week. Okay, let's try that three times a week. Let's try that five days a week. Uh, uh, do you, you, you have a lost and unsaved people, you know, 
uh, um, uh, Wendell Calder yesterday talked about um, Dawson Trotman, uh, the founder of the Navigators, which is a was a was a, was a very powerful uh, evangelism and discipleship group, and he began to minister uh, particularly to military, particularly Navy men, and one of the ways he did it was through hospitality. But he had a goal not to just see them one to the Lord. He had a goal of seeing them being able to win others to the Lord. To them to grow and to multiply here. Um, Jesus here is really showing us the truth of how disciples are made, that it's through the Word of God. And so in closing here, I want to review what we've talked about here the last few weeks so far. First of all, we answer the question of why do we make disciples? And it is so that the Lamb of God receives the reward of His suffering. Receives the reward of His cross and resurrection. That was the mantra that launched the Moravian missionary movement in the 1700s that impacted our region today. In fact, I am standing before you today as a result of the Moravian missionary movement in the 1700s. My ancestors came over to Pennsylvania. God's gospel has far-reaching effects. That's why we make disciples. Jesus didn't say, just make disciples and just left it there. There's a story of uh, of Sisyphus in Greek mythology who was the king of Corinth and he was a bad king and so the gods in in eternity made him push this stone up the hill and every time he got to the top of the hill roll back down again and just repeat this cycle. It's kind of how people live their lives, isn't it? Without purpose. But God has given us a plan. You can read this plan in a lot of places. One of, the, one of the longest places in Ephesians 1, 3-14. And he makes the point that so all things sum up in Christ. So that when you take the cash register receipt of all things and you look at the bottom and the total, the answer is Jesus Christ is honored and glorified. That's why we make disciples. That's why we make disciples. And then last week, we, uh, we tried to answer the question, what is a disciple? And God gave us a couple pictures, taking the yoke upon me, taking Jesus' yoke upon him, putting ourselves under Jesus and finding our rest there. But also, the picture of your very first step after salvation was what? Was to be baptized. That was your first mark of being a disciple, wasn't it? Is your first outward expression of it. To, to come out of the water, to go into the water and come out as an expression of your identity with Christ, being buried with Christ and now risen with Him. To, to, to uh, put off the old life through God's grace, through the power of the Word and the Holy Spirit. To be renewed in the, in the water of His Word and to put on Jesus Christ. That is what it means to be a disciple in our life is a constant uh, 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 work of that, of God's grace in us, of repentance and faith, of leaning more and more into Jesus, of depending more and more on Him, surrendering more and more of our life, and growing in Him, and, and understanding the things that He shows us are not like Jesus, and becoming more and more like Him and putting on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what repentance is. And then today, so what is the answer to the question, how are disciples made? And a simple answer is the Word of God, right? The Word of God. So, it's by the faithful teaching of the Word of God, the sharing of the Word of God, it's by the people of God, and God most normally does that through you and I building relationships with other people. Building up those who are already disciples, right? 
and then through uh, our intersections with the lost world, those who are still in the kingdom of darkness, uh, sharing the truth of God's word here, not providing a stumbling block to the gospel with the inconsistencies in, and of living in Christ, right? Of being faithful to Jesus and repenting when we're not and being honest about that. So really what it is, when it all comes down to it, is that God has people that He is calling you and I to reach. That you and I are, as Dawson Trotman said, born to reproduce. Not born to add a couple here, a couple there, but we are born to reproduce. To pour what God has poured into me and be a good steward of that and pour that into others. And yes, start with your families. Start with your families, right? But that's not the end of it, is it? That's not the end of it. Now, moms with young kids, that is going to be about the end of it for a long time, isn't it? (laughs) God's given you those people to pour into, but honestly understand why he's given to you, to make disciples, to make disciples of Jesus. And have that perspective in mind here. And God is God. God. God will show Himself faithful in, in all your failures, fathers. You are the primary disciple maker in your family. That's your ultimately re- responsibility, right? But also, that isn't the limit of our relationships, is it? That isn't the limit of our relationships. And the more and more people you have relationships and deeper relationships with, that's part of your stewardship here of the gospel. Of the gospel, and so <clears throat> it is. It is by the faithful continued teaching of the word of God, by the people of God, and dependence on the Spirit of God in prayer. Why dependence on the Spirit of God in prayer? Because of what we just saw in Mark chapter four. That's why. And what does the Spirit do? The Spirit is not separated from His Word. God's jealous of His own tools. How many of you have a favorite tool brand that you use? Josh has this, this skill saw without a guard on it that almost cut my foot off when he was trying to build my deck. And he likes that skill saw. I don't know, maybe you don't like it anymore. But you like your certain tools, right? You get attached to your certain, to- certain tools. Guess what? God's tools are his people using the word of God by the power of the spirit of God. And he's jealous over those tools. He's, he's, he's not really impressed with gimmicks. Because won by gimmicks, lost by gimmicks, right? But he knows the reliability and the power of his word. He knows what he's done in the testimonies of his life and the lives of his people. And he for sure knows what, his, what the Spirit can do. God is pretty selective about his tools. And you know what? His tools are simple. His tools are enough. His tools are powerful. His tools are powerful. So, it's the, it's the Word of God. It's the Word of God. Uh, verse by verse, topic by topic. The message is about ultimately about Jesus. We must be students of the Word of God. We must study it to each other. So we must share the things that God is doing in our lives through the Word. Uh, we have to share how the Word of God has helped us in suffering, how the Word of God has helped us in trials, how the Word of God has helped us in our sin. There are many ways the Word of God can be shared. It can be shared by letters. 
It can be shared in our homes. It can be shared in the car, in our drives. Certainly it can be shared in public preaching. Those little phones that we all get wrapped up into, use it for the Word of God. Use that for the Word of God. Distribution, the the encouragement, the conversations of of the truth of God, the counsel. Yes, Sunday church service is important, but the Word must be taught to others more than our Sunday church services, isn't it? We must continually speak the truth of God's Word into our lives and others, whether we have a Bible with us or not. Spurgeon said, when I'm cut, I want to bleed bibline. What he meant by that is when he's cut, he wants the Word of God to come out. That's how we learn Christ. Depending on the Spirit of God in prayer, persevering step by step, teaching and encouraging others to do the same. And so really, if we're going to bring these things together, we make disciples so the Lamb receives the reward of the cross and the resurrection. The Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. Worshippers gathered around Him for eternity. So we make disciples because the disciple is a forgiven sinner who is learning Christ in repentance and faith. Maybe you have a better way to put it or a different way to put it, but that's one way to, to express it. How are disciples made? When it all comes down to it, when you shake everything off, when you shake away the frills, you shake away the, the, the icing, this is what it is. It is by the faithful teaching of the Word of God, by the people of God, building relationships in dependence on the Spirit of God in prayer. You see this happen over and over and over again, don't we? Now there's things in there that run against our culture, cross-grain, don't they? There's things that we may assume or things that are operating in the background that run contrary to these things. The Lamb receives the reward. Well, I want the glory, right? There's the old self-life that is adamantly against these things, isn't it? Learning Christ and repentance and faith, that means I've got to change. I'm pretty comfortable where I'm at. I like who I am. No, that's a lie that's, that you're believing. That's not the truth of God. And there are uh, things in here that are lie, uh, that, that the devil's lies are in contrary to as well. The Word of God isn't going to be enough. That you've got to step into the water. And if you're shy, like I am, that's not where I want to be. That's not where my flesh wants to be. Dependence on the Spirit of God in prayer? Does that really work? Is that really? Come on, if I just if we do this, or I put these words with it, or I... No. It's the Spirit of God. I'm just a seller. I'm just a planter. And so really what we're saying here is this. With this diagram here, we are helping people move from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of the sun. And guess what? Sometimes it's going to be like this, right? Boom, boom. And a lot of times it's going to be those people you're working relationships with, it's going to be you're helping them move one more step to the right. One more step to the right. One more step to the right. That's what it is in your evangelism, isn't it? Some of you have people that you have been, by God's power and your word and your faithful testimony over the years, worked on for a long time, right? You're trying to, by God's grace and his word, help them move one step further, right? And then discipleship, right? That's all of us. This is progressive sanctification. This is learning Christ 
over time, right? We're not, we're declared to be fully like Christ. That's our justification. But our walk needs to be in line with that, right? Walk worthy the vocation wherewith you are called. Philippians 1.27 Walk worthy. Let your conduct be worthy of the gospel. Right? So it's bringing these things in line. And so we're helping each other as believers, as fellow disciples, whether you've been saved one year, one minute, or 100 years, every one of us can disciple one another, encourage one another in this way to be translated more and more into the kingdom of His Son, to reflect Jesus, to learn Jesus more and more. So really what we could do is put little L's up here above everybody and help us understand that we're trying to help people by God's word and by his power and dependence upon him in prayer help ourselves and help others move one step further to the right. That's discipleship. That's discipleship. Now there were people who followed Jesus and when he said some hard things couldn't bear it. And they left them. But Jesus is always challenging to take that next move to him. By his grace, by his power, take that next what they do with it, it's not on you. And we're all we're to be challenging ourselves and challenging each others to point them to Jesus, take that next step to Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, it is the tiniest things in our lives that maybe when we look back, we see, wow, that never thought that would end up that way. Never thought it would have that impact. And Lord, there are many things in life like that that Your grace has given us. And You're challenging us this morning to take steps of faith. And I pray that You would help our people to... Think through this again, through the power of the Word of God and prayerful dependence upon the Spirit uh, to continue to strengthen the relationships that you've given. Maybe explore some new relationships. Maybe there's uh, people here who need wisdom, some, some, some advice on, on how to take the next step in a particular relationship to help point people uh, further to Christ. Uh, Lord, I pray that we would be able to provide that exhortation to one another and, and build each other up. As you say, when we gather together, we are supposed to um, build each other up unto love and good works or to provoke one another according to these things. And this is all for your kingdom. And thank you, Lord, that we are just the plain sowers and you are the powerful God who has the word of life. And we're to hold forth that word of life in a crooked and perverse generation. As you know that life change only comes through that. Help us to follow you in this. Help us not to keep the words that we hear at arm's length. Another sermon, another teaching. But help us to engage in it by your power. And Lord, may our best days be before us as we follow you. And not behind us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You're dismissed.